Hey everyone, welcome back to Archives and Futures, a podcast for future generations. This is your host, Ivan Lozano, as always. And today we have an interview with Marcela Torres. Reminder, like every week, follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, Facebook, and Patreon at Archives and Futures, one word. Subscribe, share, give us a five-star rating, help people find us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and of course on SoundCloud. Share this with a friend and enjoy the show. Here you go. Hi, everybody. This is Ivan, and we're back in the studio, and I've got here with me somebody that was also part of the pilot season. Um, This recording also didn't work because that was when Gonzalo and I weren't really sure how to use the equipment yet, but (laughs) here we are again, and why don't you introduce yourself? Hi. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My name's Marcela Torres, and I'm excited to be back. Yeah, thanks, Marcela. I was really uh, happy that we were able to get you back in the studio because I wanted to talk about how you got to Chicago and what you've been up to as an artist. And I've been following your work now. I mean, well, I mean, I've only known you for about a year and a half, maybe. So that's how long I've been like really paying a lot of attention. But, you know, in the last like round or in the pilot episode, like I did a bunch of research and I really like your work and I love how you think about things and like your background and like also like. If you guys haven't met Marcella, which most of you maybe don't, like she also has really, really good style. So <laughs> I appreciate that too. Um, so um, tell us about yourself. Where do you come from? What's your background? How did you end up in Chicago? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Salt Lake City, Utah. And so I definitely think of myself as someone from the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving to Chicago is interesting because... I've never really dealt with humidity before. And I definitely think of myself (laughs) as, yeah, like a desert person. Yeah, that's a big change. (laughs) It was. um, My skin still doesn't know what's going on. Uh But yeah, so I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. um, And I lived there for 28 years. Uh, And yeah, I always knew I wanted to be an artist, but it was really hard to go to college or to try to figure out how to move or how to do anything. yeah, probably within like my economic class, you know, it just, it was challenging and I have uh, five siblings, so oh, it wow. just, yeah, it became a thing. Yeah. And so I moved here um, to go to grad school, you know, the, f- my undergrad experience I did at uh, the University of Utah. Okay. And so I come from a big state school yeah. and it's not necessarily what I want to do. You know, you always have that like vision of going to like a really nice art school. Right. Yeah. 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 And that wasn't the case. So then for my grad. Was that in art? Uh, yeah. Okay. I did a sculpture degree and an art history degree. Nice. Yeah. Technically, I still have one class left in my art history degree. I won't tell anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, then when it came down to grad, I, I knew that it was like my moment to move and to try to find a place where I could work. Because, uh, yeah, in Utah, like I could make work, but I was really discouraged by mm. um, sort of the scene there, I guess, or the way that identity work was, I mean, I don't necessarily consider myself to be like an identity artist, but like if you're non-white and making something that isn't just formal based or about the landscape, then, you know, it becomes a lot more difficult. Yeah, definitely. If you're not a straight white man, it's always identity politics. Yeah. And, and I think that a lot of it, you know, there's a lot more stuff going on and I don't, I don't really like, I, no one wants to be simplified. No, no. Yeah, and I just feel like now, you know, things are changing there and it's cool, but I really enjoy being in Chicago for, like, the way that I can have a community and um, 
I don't have to do a lot of the um, back explaining, you know. Definitely, yeah. And that was another reason. I mean, we're, uh, Marcelo and I were talking a little bit before we started recording about some of the goals of the podcast. And that's definitely, like, one of them. Like, getting over that, like, brownness 101, like, having to justify what you're doing or justify that you're an artist or that your references are worthy of like consideration or whatever because that's annoying and boring and we're over it (laughs) yeah totally and i and i don't always talk about like my brownness as like the main feature of things it's like pretty inherent (laughs) right yeah you can tell like why yeah why ask me yeah exactly and so like my entire experience of like the way i've lived and grown up has been through this diasporic lens um, of being from Utah, you know, um, my grandparents were, my great grandparents were Brasseros. And so they moved to, um, first Texas and then California. Yeah. And so we have like an agricultural background and then everyone converted to Mormonism and we were in Utah. And so that's like a huge part of like how I see things as well, as far as like, um, like invisible structures that, you know, are there Mm. and you want to talk about, but to say it straight out, people would be like, no, 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 that's not it. But so you have to find all these other ways to explain, oh, no, no, this is, this is what it is. This what is do what's you mean, happening. What, do you, what, what invisible, what invisible structures do you mean? Do you mean like the Bracero program and then sort of like the structure of Mormonism or just like about diaspora in general? Um, all. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like, um, you know, uh, when we talk about our background, and we say like the Bracero program, um, it's an agricultural program that the U.S. government made to allow Mexican workers to come to help them with their crops. But essentially a lot of it, it was like sort of like indentured servitude. Yeah. And so then there's like a lot of back work to, to say like, oh, this is sort of racist and this was sort of like not equality. And this is like the, the beginning of how we see, not the beginning, but like um, sort of some background work to see where we are now agriculturally in the way that we um, take advantage of certain kinds of groups of people. And so um, all these things that I'm talking about, like even Mormonism, you know, we can't say that people are, I mean, we can say it like, to, but when you use the word racism, people get so afraid by it yeah. where um, to call someone a racist isn't always like the most effective way for you to say you hurt my feelings and you're like bringing me down yes <laughs> and that's so, a good point too yeah so then um I, so then the, uh, yeah so i'm really interested in those kinds of invisible structures that we know are happening and everyone knows is happening but you have to explain it in a way that like or, or you want to talk about a way that does it justice for yourself as well as other people did that understanding of those structures in any way kind of correspond with like coming into art or how did those two things kind of match up for you yeah i think that like as soon as i was very young i had these moments where um so like i was all for mormonism when i was younger like when i was like okay five six i was yeah. like this is it uh-huh. <laughs> and um i really saw my ability for progression Nice. You know, like a pla- uh, path. I was like, I'm going to convert people and give them like the true word. And I'm going to like be the best prophet. And then I, yeah, I learned about um, gender differences. Mm. And you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can't <laughs> you Those can't, things. Yeah. And you can't do stuff like that. Right. And, and so then that's when I began to be like, oh, oh, okay. All right. Like, like at eight being like what is my artistic path or my path now right and and now that i've been told that like because of this thing that i am which yeah i feel like um 
I feel like a woman, but I, I do feel also like um, non-binary where I don't have to make a decision about those things and, and mm-hmm. to like have this sort of like gender really play out to like what I'm able to do. Um, yeah, I think turned me very much towards like maybe uh, philosophy or activism or aesthetics that yeah. all come to art. So it, it made the most sense to like go that direction. I think there's something interesting about the, correct me if I'm wrong, but like comparing the aesthetics of being Latinx and then the aesthetics of the white Mormon church, Mm -hmm. because they do have a very like visually established palette maybe or or references, you know, and it is very, it's very different. So those contrasts I'm sure were like kind of probably interesting or at least made you think about something. Yeah, they were really interesting because we went to a Spanish-speaking ward. Mm. So essentially, um, it's when the people of all different Spanish-speaking countries come to one place. Yeah. And they they have been, like, um, baptized and converted. And they're, like, now, like, in Utah. And everyone gets stuck together. And it's this really interesting thing where you're inside of a church that has a lot of really specific rules. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you see the exact like sort of opposite begin to happen around you where like people are following these rules but they also love to dance and they, like, yeah and really, <laughs> yeah and unspoken like uh, outspoken and like so it was you know we'd be in this really drab building where like yeah there's a very specific aesthetic to the mormon church and to like what how women speak when they're speaking in general general conference um which is like a by um two times a year like um large gathering and uh, you you notice these things, these aesthetics of the church, and then in direct contrast was like our um, Latinidad, yeah. And it was really cool together, and also really problematic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I grew up in Mexico, but the, you know, my dad is from Texas, so there was always that huge difference in cultures, also, which is you know very different, obviously, but between like American quote unquote culture as experienced by like a Mexican, and then mm-hmm. like my Mexican everyday existence, like living in between those two things like it makes you a little crazy but it also makes you interesting i think yeah and i think it's i think it's the exact um sort of uh large segment or or it's it's uh what makes diaspora so interesting when like all these different things are sort of happening because i don't really know that much about catholicism Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i i i do but i don't know it like intrinsically in the way that's affected like me thinking about like uh you know, padrinos or like certain right. kinds of right. uh, uh, Semana Santa or things like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. And, yeah. and that's been really interesting, like in coming to Chicago where like sometimes people will be like, oh, you're not Mexican if you don't know these things. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty damn sure I'm Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we we followed a different path. Right. In your family, you mentioned that you have five siblings. Where are you? Are you in the middle? I would assume you're kind of in the middle. Um, I'm the second. The second. And so, you know, like I, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of like work with myself and I have this really intense competitive nature that like I sometimes definitely need to work on, but it's been like being the second person. I'm Right. Like, you had to fight for attention. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm actually smarter than the first person, <laughs> or you know, and it's like, that's not actually true. And it's not helpful to think that way, but I'm, I'm very much the second oldest. Yeah. 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 And then you are. I think I remember your elder sister mm-hmm. is also a, a different kind of artist. Yeah, my elder sister, she's a painter and like an illustrator and she lives in L.A. And she's just a like a very um, awesome artist. She's 
very technical like actually like like hand to paper Drafts technical person, yeah, yeah. yes and so that's been really interesting i think for both of us to like have this really intense idea of what we think art is mm. and then to see the other person uh-huh. do something totally opposite and be like oh they're doing pretty well i do respect that that's interesting but that is not like how i see it yeah yeah and so it's been really funny like we've applied for similar grants or like there have been times where she's asked me for advice and i'm like so like too intense i'll be like you have to do it this way this, this, this. and she's like okay bye uh-huh. <laughs> yeah and so it's been cool to have a, another artist sister it's definitely been like super fascinating um and her name's maritza torres and she's she's shout out to maritza yep shout out and she's wonderful do you feel because i mean we still have like not gotten really to like how you kind of came to art um was that a shared experience with with siblings because i mean some of the stories we've heard is like well art was was like a free after school program so that's what i did or you know just like i was locked in my room all the time so like i just drew Mm -hmm. what was your experience like i yeah i love this question and i think that um from a very early age like us as siblings would create things and um and so then i would say that it's very indicative my practice actually is like being a producer or director and like Mm. creating like these sort of large-scale things and modular things that all come together and someone has to make the costume someone has to make the fort someone has to dig the hole somebody has to like get all the toys someone has to like um make the smoothie you know Uh and there's all these different parts and then it comes together into like a terrible feast for my parents that is inedible oh my god <laughs> i love that make the smoothie was one of the roles i love that yeah and so so it's like i feel like this is so yeah we would do um feasts for our parents and everyone would like just oh find god, something amazing. and then like make it and then there'd also be like a show that would go with it that would right. be costuming and so <laughs> <laughs> yeah god i wish there was like video of this I don't. <laughs> no, I do. I really would like to see that menu. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, the menu. Yeah. Exactly. And so then I think that this way in which we would sort of collectively work to like create like this event or project or, you know, uh, <laughs> this uh, spectacle. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, was is really how I thought about how I think about things now. Nice. But I'm usually like the only person. There isn't like five other people that are like, um sourcing wood or like right. yeah we we built a fort in our backyard and like we also dug a giant pond and you know we we did a lot of really creative things um created plays and all these different things so i think that like to me what i do now is not all that different than than that totally do you feel like actually the the sort of going into like a tra- you know quote unquote traditional i'm assuming that um in your undergrad it was like a relatively traditional sculptural program mm-hmm Moving from that into like performance, was that difficult for you or did it feel sort of like coming home? Well, I I did the sculpture program because I thought it gave me the most um, agency, like the most ability to to do whatever I wanted. We didn't have a new media program. Yeah. We didn't have a performance program. And what was really highlighted in our school was painting and photography. Yeah. And... Um, and people were doing really excellent things there, but also, you know, it, it's not the same kind of arts community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of landscape stuff. And, you know, we have a lot of, well, so they have landscape there. Like here we have buildings. Exactly. And, and sewer rats. And, <laughs> and we love them. And yeah, we love them. Shout out to the sewer rats. But, 
<laughs> but yeah, exactly. So like the art scene is really controlled by that. Be- yeah. You kind of can't be because it's so, or you kind of have to be because it's so beautiful. Right. Yeah. And there's so much to say about it. But yeah, it just, you know, I was like, I want to do something different. I want to make shit. And so then I went to a sculpture program and I was like, oh, I'm terrified of like power tools, but I will do it. Uh I will do it. And like, yeah, when I started my undergrad, I was 25 and I, I had a lot of ideas of what I want to do. Nice. And so I really followed that. I like took a neon class or I went to a school to go do neon over a summer and then I learned to make shoes and I did all these awesome. random things. Yeah. So, I mean, I always, I've always just been like following the things I want to do. And so the sculpture program was cool in a lot of ways. I learned how to weld. I learned how to iron pour. I can uh, laser cut shit. I can do all oh, wow. these things. Yeah. Yeah. So it was cool. But at the same time, I was like, uh, I don't want to make the best chair. Right. I just yeah. don't. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what was happening. And so, yeah, I, I I turned to the only thing that I like really trusted in and felt like was always there for me and that I had the most control over and really said the most about me, which was my body. Yeah. So how did Chicago come about? I mean, NSAIC specifically, what was the sort of the drive behind that program in the city? You know, I, I never completely thought of myself as a performance artist like before. Mm. I was doing performance work in undergrad, but just trying to figure it out, you know, I... I had to be confident in it because I was making the portfolio for grad school as mm, I was an undergrad. Okay. From the second I got into school, I was like, Oh wow. You were fo- You Yeah. Okay. So you were focused. You were trying to be the best prophet even back then. Yes, I was. Or even sir, still <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, I was just trying to get myself out to be real. That's real. Yeah. yeah. Utah was, it's beautiful. It's great. Um, but I just needed to find a way to get out. And I, and I didn't just understand that you could move whenever you wanted to. That wasn't like something that was accessible to me. Um, yeah, that was what college was for me. Like one of my earliest memories in Mexico was like, how the fuck do I get out of here? <laughs> and college was the way to do it. Yeah, exactly. And it's the thing you can explain to your parents and everyone's like, good for you. Right. It's like an accomplishment. Like you're moving because you're like moving up ahead. Yeah. And you're helping all of us. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like from the second I got into undergrad, I was like, I need to make this portfolio. I need to do something. So I had to be confident even though I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And well, also, like, it probably helped that you started, like, undergrad a little later than a lot of people, you know? Because, like, when you're 18, you don't know jack shit about nothing, <laughs> you know? But, like, at 25, you have more of, like, like I was going to, like, grad school, which I don't recommend this to anybody, but, like, with people that were, like, in, like 21 or 22, and it's, like, how do you know what you're going to do as, like, a graduate student and, like, a, you know, an artist? And some people do. I don't want to, like, age shame anybody, but, like, yeah, experience and life experience and seeing, like, what you want in life is, like, it's huge. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly how I felt. I was very committed and I was very like, I need to leave or else I'm, <laughs> yeah. I might not, not want to be it. live anymore, right. yeah, live yeah, alive yeah. anymore. I get it. You know? Yeah, that's real. And especially for people that, you know, in one way or another are also like, we are also like on this like queer spectrum, you know, it's, it's a reality. Like we don't necessarily thrive <laughs> in the environments where we like, you know, mm-hmm. appeared in. Yeah. And I, and I think that like, um, I, I don't want to shame Utah because I think there's a lot of beautiful people and a lot of like amazing things about it, but it wasn't right for me. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, I, I just knew I needed to leave. And so that's the way that I did it. And so grad school, I was, you know, yeah, people were very traditional there where they were like, if you don't get into Yale or UCLA, you should just quit. 
Oh my god. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> let me try. Oh my god. <laughs> let me try to do this, you know. And it was. That's also an interesting group of like schools. If it's just like Yale and UCLA, those are like the and two. Columbia. And Columbia, the, yeah. That was the three, and it was really interesting too because like you know you never know what's good f- for people, right? And and I've seen people thrive under so many different circumstances. And for me, you know, like um, SAIC was kind of like a perfect fit, partially because, you know, there was a performance program. Yeah. And you can do whatever you want to, <laughs> which seems to be something you appreciate, which I love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to do lots of random things. But yeah. the, the education I got as far as like um, the uh, there's a performance festival. Yeah. That's part of the school. Impact, right? Um, yes, but also New Blood. New Blood. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. And it's proposal-based. Yes. And you get to... I've seen some amazing things there. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's totally true. Undergrads and grads and everyone's like uh, doing proposals to get into this thing. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd worked with tech people and things nice. like that. And that's like really transformed how I work because I love lights. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I love to work with tech and like with sound and things like that. So... Um, uh, I know that if I had gone to other programs and ha- didn't have performance-specific things, I might have learned how to sort of make something for audiences and performances. But I don't think I would have been able to refine uh, my performances into like these presentational like uh, spectacles, right? Like these really visceral experiences. Right. There's a the theatricality about your performances because of the lights and the arrangements. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I wouldn't say it's uh, I wouldn't say it's theater, but it's so much closer to theater than maybe like a gesture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, so yeah, so I ended up at SEIC because it's the thing that worked out and nice. the thing that, like, would provide funding. And I never, ever considered Chicago as, like, even an option. But I didn't really understand very many options. Yeah. I hadn't traveled. You just needed to get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't traveled that many places. And in the long run, like, as soon as you make a decision and you're in it, I think for most people, they decide that it was the right thing. Yeah. And for me, like, Chicago's been nice. <laughs> I love Chicago. I think it took me a little bit, but that's also something that I'm starting to sort of see in like in doing all these interviews. A lot of people are like, God, I fucking hated Chicago the first like four years I was here and now I love it. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that I hated it, but I was just like all of a sudden introduced to um surprise, surprise, there aren't that many black people in Utah. <laughs> yeah. Plot twist. <laughs> yeah. And uh my advisors were of all different ethnicities and backgrounds and uh lifestyles and um interests and sensibilities yeah and my peers all of a sudden there were like tons of mexicans around me that were like as intense and committed and no one thought we were crazy people thought we were intimidating you know and it was just like it was just so interesting that like chicago you know it's affordable ish you know like it's it's okay Yeah, for its size it's really affordable yeah yeah because we have winter true (laughs) and so like being in chicago wasn't always my first choice because i had a very limited idea of what my choices were but like the performance department um and then like sort of the the history of the city being like a place that people emigrate to to get um away from the south or things like that like it it really like i feel I'm, i'm not part of that that story but i still feel that i mean well I'm going to contradict you on that because I think that we are part of that story. You know, I think that a lot of uh, a lot of us have moved to Chicago trying to find a better place than where we were. Yeah. And a lot of times it was because we were in the South or in the West, you know, mm-hmm. um, 
And then also going back to like the Mexican thing, it's also just sort of like that path up, you know, sort of trying to find a better place moving on north. Yeah. And and that's totally true. Like where we have our own like sort of um, migration story. It's not like the same like, sort of like escape from slavery story. Um, but there's still like these moments where people are just trying to get to like a metropolitan place that there's access to um, betterment that isn't just for one type of person. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so for me, it's been like a place where um, I like I really I think a lot about balance mm-hmm. because I, like I said, I'm very competitive, but yeah. I'm also, you know, like uh, <laughs> an anxious competitive Virgo cusp, <laughs> Virgo cusp. Leo, um, <laughs> Leo sun, Virgo rising, Pisces moon. Oh, shit. Yeah. So like there's like all these things where like I'm very good at working and ignoring everything and like letting everything like fall apart around me. And so Chicago has been a place where I can be like, okay, no, 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 no. Okay. Just say yes to get this and no to this and then like try to talk to people and like don't be so awkward. And like it's it's allowed me to like have a little bit more um, comfort and privilege and uh, community where um, I can begin to think about not just surviving, but like thriving and maybe happiness nice so are you i don't want to say committed because you know things change all the time but like do you feel at home right now in chicago or settled i don't know i don't know what that feeling is yeah that's a good point yeah yeah and i think that like there are a lot of things i still want to accomplish and uh i would like to say yes i would like to say this is it and um but i'm giving myself the ability to wiggle that's good. And go other places um, over the next, you know, few years. But I, I, the more time I spend in Little Village or like I live in Pilsen now. I love now, Little Village. Right? I love La Villita. Little Mexico. Yeah, oh, I do a lot of, that place. I do a lot of work there for uh, my other jobs. And so the more I like am in that community, the more I really want to be in that community. And so, you know, I would like to accomplish a few more things so I can have uh, you know, like the balance and the comfort that I need so then I can, you know, set up shop or whatever. But yeah, there's a lot of things that I still want to experience and I don't want to limit myself. I just want to make sure that I have a home because I don't, I don't feel like I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes a while to do that. I mean, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard feeling like one, you know, especially like being members of this sort of extended, you know, Latinx Mexican diaspora where we're still sort of trying to figure out where the fuck we fit in the world. Yeah, exactly. And and it can be so counter to what you think home is. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not by my family at all. And that's weird to me. But I also, yeah, maybe home isn't always next to my biological family. And maybe actually. That's real. Yeah. Maybe actually it'll provide me a closerness to them. I feel I love my family to death. Uh, but I also know that I can't really be living in the same place that they are because mm-hmm. it's just too difficult sometimes. Yeah. There's like sometimes too much too much history <laughs> with family, you know? Yeah. And they're also sort of like, especially when you have to sort of create yourself as like a queer person or as an artist or as somebody who goes outside of like what, as somebody who transcends like the experiences of your parents. Um, yeah, you have to create yourself. And sometimes it's hard to do that in like a, fami- like a family setting. Yeah. And and it's always going to affect the familial setting. But you want to like come to it when it's not so messy. Like I don't want to bring the yeah. mess, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're confident in your in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can just be like, "Hi, I'm here to eat with you and <laughs> hang out." Yeah. So, yeah. 
So speaking about community, like in SAIC and then in Chicago in general, like what have been some people that like you've worked with or that you felt really kind of like changed the way that you were think that you thought about like your practice or your place in the world as an artist? Yeah, I think that um, I've really, I've been so um, lucky and privileged and grateful to have a lot of residencies here in the city. And so um, places that have really helped me have been like um, places like High Concept Labs. And I just finished a residency at Latitude. Nice. And so then for High Concepts, it was a space. And so like yeah. I was able to like go to the same place and dance. And um, it's hard for me sometimes to rehearse. And I really like I I accomplished that. I kicked that bad habit and I know how to rehearse now and I'm confident in it. And High Concept Labs, um, they're giving me space really like changed the trajectory of what my performance looks like. Nice. Yeah. It's like a lot more clean and understandable. And then also makes it when I'm done with it, I don't feel so shitty about what I've just done in front of a ton of people. And then latitude is cool. I got to do a bunch of photos and learn about that. And so then like those kinds of spaces have been so important. So like I also did the core program at Chicago art department and I've done a few other things here and there, and, and they've been extremely helpful. I think that, like, another group that I'm interested in and um, has been through my job at Gallery 400, I um, have worked a lot with uh, a parents group at uh, Tapochicali. And so that school and that community group has been so interesting because they'll be like, no, no, no. No me dices así. <laughs> you know, and I'll be like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> you know, and they're like my moms. Yeah. And I haven't seen them like a month or two. And so I've, I've begun to miss them. And so then it's, it's really helped me feel like a little bit more grounded. I nice. Think. And so like it, groups like that have been really helpful. And I'm trying to think like the SSC community, I got to teach a class last semester. And that was so interesting to be the teacher. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was something I designed. What were you teaching? Intro- introduction to performance. Nice. And so, you know, it was really interesting to like be in that space and be like, no, I'm I'm the boss. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> Especially gonna- as a second born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ex- well, yeah, exactly. And and it was great to like have like a chill, like to like run the space the way I wanted to, which is like not actually based on like the intensity of me. It's actually to like allow for a space for everyone to con- converse with each other because in undergrad um critiques were um moments where you got to tear everyone apart oh and people it was really hard <laughs> upsetting yeah and so then i definitely want critical discussion um but in safe grounds and so yeah. that was really fun to like provide that space where i'd be like no go harder like push them harder but also we're chill yeah we're chill. And We're all here to help each other. Exactly. And I wouldn't be telling you if I didn't like you. I wouldn't say anything, you know? I, and so it was like this really nice space where everyone could like be critical. And yeah. And I would say actually like one more like community they have to mention. And I'm surprised I didn't before is my fight community. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like it's taken me a really, 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 really long time. The whole time I've been here to like really find the space that I should be in the space that I feel comfortable um, in training. Maybe back up a little bit because some people might not know what you're talking about when you said your fight community, but okay. that's an important part of like your practice or has. Yeah. Been. We've, we've gone all over the place. And we said, like, <laughs> have talked about this, but let's back up for people. Yeah. So um, in my performances, I've been really interested in trying to locate risk and trying to like create um, 
a narrative or an experiential thing that really represents, uh, you know, what it means to be othered or like really um, intense cultural experiences such as like um, inner neighborhood violence or microaggressions or, you know, gender violence or, you know, the whole gamut. Um, and so for me, again, like I think about my body all the time and I've been thinking, I, I turn to using martial arts as the way to describe these, to like, to put this practice into place, like to use a structure, pick it up, learn how to do it, and then put it into another structure, like an arts context, and then like, uh, break it apart and disassemble it to then tell this narrative about something completely different. I thought you did that really amazingly. You had a show at Roots and Culture that sort of used a lot of the language of fight mm -hmm. that I thought was just beautiful how you sort of were able to kind of expand that and, and, and yeah, sort of twist it. Not Well, not twist it. Twist it sounds like negative, but like give it a different focus so yeah. that I could see that language and I could see that experience of like being in a fight community or in training or like the sort of the theory behind that and sort of apply it to like daily life or like, yeah, to get something poetic out of it. Yeah, because I think that like, you know, when we talk about um, being Mexican or like our racial experience, you know, this, the, the way that we speak or our skin tone, like has this reflexiveness out or re reflection out. And then people will treat people different depending on that. And I understood that very well in Utah, you know, like I just always felt in like K through 12 that people just thought I was stupid Yeah. and I, I'm not. <laughs> and I, and I wasn't sure why they would think that right yeah and so and you know i i also you know like really struggled with what i look like as far as like attractiveness you know and also like being on like a queer spectrum right it was really confusing to be like oh why are these things happening you know like why do guys not like me because that's apparently very important why am i like also like really interested in like something larger than just like maybe males you know right and and like why is this attractiveness so important and um and so then like the way that we looked like really conditioned how people tr treated us whether we understood it or not we were just understanding like how it felt for them to be putting assumptions onto us yeah and so i i really want to make work that talked about like the the nuances of that like i could tell you that and that's fine and you you're identifying with it and you understand what i'm talking about but i want to make work that like you feel <laughs> Like the intensity or yeah. the the sound or like the viscerality of that, and so, yeah, I I'm an aggressive person, and I've told this story a million times. But like in high school, I had this like fantasy where I had this crush on this guy, and in my mind, I was like, this is what would happen to make him like me. Like we'd get into a fight, and I'd kick his ass, and then he'd like fall in love with me, right? And, you know, there's a lot in there, like a sort of like BDSM-y thing and then like also control and then like a certain sense of power and also like fucked upness of how we think about romance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so like all those things and I realized, yeah, like my whole... Well, an extremity of emotion too that probably I would assume that somewhere like Salt Lake City, especially coming from like a Mexican family is like not allowed. It's like this like extreme emotion. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, but at the same time, like my family's very emotional, like, like you fight, oh, <laughs> you about, yeah. yell, uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. you, it, it can't like, <clears throat> to me, like, I feel like for a long time, I felt the most loved when someone was fighting me, 
you know, when someone's yelling at me, I'm like, you care. Yeah. You, yeah. You're here for me. You're mad. And so, yeah. So like for me, I, I, I don't know. I wanted to feel strong. I wanted to take care of myself, but I also wanted a tool to like represent these things. And so I really, I, um, previous performances were using sort of like weightlifting and different kinds of like, um, fitness techniques. And then when I moved here, I was like, no, no, I think I really need to do this. You know, I, it's been a fantasy in my mind and sometimes fantasies don't come true if you don't make them come true. And, um, let's just (laughs) snap our fingers with that. (laughs) And, um, this has kind of happened my whole life where, you know, the, I, the reason I went to undergrad was because if I don't go to college, it won't happen. Right. Yeah. If I don't do something about this, it won't happen. This is something actually that I I also just want to like thank you for that because in that first conversation that we had um, in like the pilot episode that didn't work out. But um, one of the things that you mentioned was this idea of like what you're talking about, like sort of I think you call it like self reparations. And that's something that has really kind of stuck with me and really like. It's been a phrase or like a a, a, a concept that I keep coming to mm-hmm. and it's been like really fucking helpful in my life to kind of think of it that way mm-hmm. as like you're doing this for yourself. Yeah. And no one else is going to do it for you. Right. And you're going to be exactly who people assume you they who people you're going to be exactly what people assume you are. Yeah. But I'm not that. Right. And I've never been that. Yeah. So, you know, like if I had this fantasy of like being strong and being a fighter and being able to defend myself, then sure, let's go there. Let's do it. <laughs> and also like, that's so hot. Like, <laughs> like as like, you know, like I'm, I, I definitely identify as queer. I'm mostly like, you know, attracted to men, but also like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> oof. I mean, yeah. 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 And that's also sexy to me. And like, yeah, it's to, so sexy to take like your sexuality like in it as well like i don't know yeah yeah i mean i i'm on the record also like i studied with barbara de genevieve so like including your sexuality in your art and like making your art like an expression of your fantasies or using that as like fuel i think is 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 an amazing way to use art yeah and exactly and so then like it's it's done a lot of things because i think more people recognize me as queer through it and it wasn't always my intention to reveal those things or that I understood those things about myself completely. And it's been really fun to like, yeah, to like accept um, my more butchy vibes at times and to, to go in with, within both, you know, because I, when, when I think about sort of like, um, uh, well, I mean, when you're not hiding them, it's, it, you don't have to worry about people catching it. Yeah. Well, and the thing is like, I, I, within my Latinidad, I love like sort of like, Things that are identified with womanhood. You know, I love those things. But you know what I also love? Being a bro. <laughs> you know, like, I I, um, I wear the Vera. You know, I want to have my hair braided. I want to, like, you know. Shave the size of your head. You just got this great haircut. I mean, I just, yeah. Thank you. Actually, I've had <laughs> it for, like, six or seven months now. Well, yeah, but you got the refresh. Oh, yeah, I got the refresh. And so then it's been really nice, like, within sort of um, making my body look a little bit more uh, fit has also made me feel, like, a little bit more comfortable within, like, what it wants to be in its sexuality and, like, the different ways that, uh, yeah, like, the gender 
uh, my gender identity comes out. And also the world is on fire. So like having the gym or like fighting, like it's a great way to just get that energy out. Like that's half of why I go to the gym is just because I'm too fucking angry not to. I mean, yeah. And it's nice because. Okay, this is like this is sort of a joke, but like if if you ever have any like stress about uh like white dudes or whatever, go fight a bunch of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's one of the things that like motivates me at the gym. I get angry at the white dudes and then I work out harder. Yeah, and I'm literally fighting them. They do beat me. Okay. Like I do get hurt. Let's be honest. It's not always like I'm hurting them. But, you know, like when I was younger, my dad was really really into Aztec history Mm -hmm. and we were just always looking at these books and you 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 know we'd be playing or eating and he'd be like telling us about you know Quetzalcoatl and like uh Cortez and all these things and we'd be like all right great sure dad yeah whatever you know but he always um embedded us with this idea of like being Aztec warriors yeah and um he has two sons and there's four women and so um do you know where the family was originally from which part of Mexico yeah, so they, well, uh, my family lives in Chalco, which is inside of the Efe, and then Guadalajara and Pachuca. But there's this small, tiny little rural place outside of Pachuca, which is where my maternal family is from. Okay. Um, but otherwise, I'm not totally sure. But I mean, yeah, but that sort of explains it because like the Efe in Central Mexico and Pachuca, like that's Aztec for sure. Yeah. So then like on my father's side, we would be Aztec and then my mother's would be Otomi. And so... Yeah, um, he like really embedded that in us that we could be Aztec warriors, regardless of like whether we were men or women. He'd be like, "Oh, like the princesses knew how to fight, they knew how to do craft work, and they knew how to uh, be leaders, and and they were beautiful." That's awesome. And so I, I don't know, I really identify with that. So then, in turning to fight, you know, it's taken me what five years to get comfortable in it, and this is what I'm learning more and more about myself. Like I have like these goals, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go do it." I'm kind of shy. <laughs> like, it takes me a really long time to be comfortable. And I think this has to do with, like, um, safety, like, my yeah. ideas of safety. And I would love to be friendlier. I would love to be more social. And I can only be in certain circumstances. But I have to, like, deal with that. Right. I mean, you do what you can with what you got. Yeah. And I always thought that I was, like, nicer than I was. But I get, like, freaked out in social settings, like, pretty easily. I'll, like... <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> I'll cling to, like, three people and be like... I mean, that's been one of the things that's been like the hardest. I haven't, I quit smoking like five years ago or something, but that is like the hardest thing. Cause like smoking is a safety blanket, you know, in the social setting, like you can just go smoke a cigarette yeah, and then you have this like shared experience with other people. And like, you don't have to feel weird about just standing there because we're all slowly killing ourselves. <laughs> well, and it's a break. It's literally and a, it's break. a break. Yeah. Yeah. It's an opportunity to step away from it. Yeah. Exactly. And like, for me, like I left the Mormon church when I was 25 and started drinking then. And so then like, learning like all of a sudden getting this new substance that could help you in social settings like it's taken the whole time to be like this isn't the answer (laughs) yeah this isn't like what you do and so um yeah it's taken me a long time to be totally in the fight community or to find where i want to fit in or to find the people that will support me or to say like to the fight community like okay i'm in do you want to shout out your gym yeah i go to chicago mma shout out to chicago mma yeah and so yeah, like I was making this work about fight stuff before, like, you know, I was like fully in and I felt like an imposter and I felt embarrassed about it. But I also, you know, wasn't ready to share. And, you know, 
the fight community is expansive and odd <laughs> and you know it was you know i just wasn't ready and so that's another important i think thing to underline this idea of imposter syndrome and how we get over it which is like through practice mm-hmm. like you just mentioned also like uh rehearsal yeah and how that's another way to sort of get to the stage where you feel comfortable in what you're doing so i think that like a lot of times for like imposter syndrome like all you have to do is just keep doing it yeah it's odd because then it usually becomes something <laughs> yeah yeah something will come of it you know it's yeah. hard to like figure out what something is going to be before it's happened and i think also within rehearsal like you just want to be like no when i get there in 10 days it'll be great but i'm not going to do anything until then because i just know it's going to be great but you have to be like no 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 no. all right let's go over that passage one more time and yeah. and so yeah that, that's been fascinating and uh so like in um so we were talking about communities and that's a different community that I have felt close with and an important part of my experience in Chicago and specific to my experience in Chicago. I'm part of a, a, a queer POC martial arts collective. Nice. And um, and then I have like... Um, Can people find it online? Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to... I think it's... Q P O C M A. Okay. And it used to be called Stormy Legacy. And so then the the I I'm just like one of the, the members, but the, there's other people who are doing much like more work with it and are really amazing, like Alex Chen and Layla and uh Diana. And there's just like a lot of people in it that are doing cool things. Um and so that's been nice to be like, oh, I'm not alone in this either. And then at Chicago MMA, um Rosie Ibar. Um, runs a women's class and nice. so there's a tons tons of women in there in her classes and so that's just been really uh nice to be part of a community when i want to be and yeah so five years out and i'm just i fought my first fight in july good job and then i'll fight my next one in december nice and so how'd the one in july go it went it went well i've learned a lot from it um that also was like being thrown into the deep end you know um, was that a different stress and like a performance um, stress? Yeah. It, there's So like um, when I'm talking about balance, you know, like worrying about your career, like arts career is can drive you crazy on its own. Yeah. Stop doing it, everybody. <laughs> and then like surviving like funds and stuff. That's another thing. Yeah. And then like um, so I was in the summer I was um, getting ready for my show in my, New York and um so that would open end of july and then like two weeks later i'd be fighting my first fight and so i was like putting this all this effort into this show that i was so excited for but i also was like weight cutting and i was oh wow and i was like uh working out a ton and i was worried about like fighting my first fight against someone who's this was their seventh and i was like i could get my ass kicked like i like people break things like when you get into that that scenario, like you're really giving up a lot of yourself. You're you're vulnerable to like being bathed in blood. Like people, right? Die. Yeah, no, and, yeah. And I mean, especially with like all the adrenaline, sometimes you don't realize how much you're hurt. Exactly, and also you won't stop. No, <laughs> no. Like you know, it's just you know. So I was really. It's a different stress, and it's really nerve wracking. Um, but I also have to remember, like, the second I I stepped into the ring. Regardless of what had happened the day, like earlier in that day, like we had to weigh in, it was really stressful. And um, regardless of all that, when I stepped in the ring, I remembered, oh, I like to fight people. Yeah. <laughs> Turns yeah. out. You realize like, oh, wait, no, I don't need to feel like an imposter. I, I feel comfortable here. Yeah. And I 
smiled and I was like excited and then I remembered like performing is a different thing you know like um I used to get really nervous and I still do but it's systematic and, and I know how to do it now like I don't talk to people like half an hour before I like have to make sure everything's great do the performance then like go back into a room and like cry or like figure, <laughs> figure my shit out for 30 minutes usually like my partner or friend will be come in and be like you okay though yeah um so i know that's how performance works but for a fight it's it's different like it's exciting yeah it's fun and the fight like i lost it and i and i i don't know everyone says that if you lose your fight like it's actually more helpful than winning sometimes yeah, I mean, you learn more from success and from fa- from failure than from success. Absolutely. Yeah, and so like I just felt like I didn't have any major injuries. Um, this person who beat me, it was so stupid, but I felt like so happy for her because her record had been quite bad, and so I was like, you know what? Yeah, and then it brought me so much closer to the community in some ways, and like who I should be looking at and who's doing things that like for this next fight, I feel really different. Is that here in Chicago? It's not. It's going to be in Arizona. Oh, okay. It's uh, a tournament because I... So less humidity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's a tournament, but I hope after that, then I can find Chicago and, and invite people out. But again, I'm not ready Right. Yeah. to show everyone like what I've done. Mm. Um. So the performances are one thing for sure, and I want people to see that. But even then I get like, I can be funny about inviting people because I do feel like, I have some weird social things. I get nervous, you know, and I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't always know how to, like, include people. And so, like, with the fight stuff, it's been cool because it's a different community and the different people Yeah, show that up. system's already built. Exactly. Yeah. But I would love to fight in Chicago next. That's my goal. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to do it until I feel safe, <laughs> which is yeah, a weird thing totally to say fair, about yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the practice and this hobby or passion have like combined for a long time and that's been great but i also don't i don't want to be pigeon-toed i i found like i found these ways to talk about things as a solution that i wanted to do you know and i can find lots of solutions right and that's actually a really good segue because i wanted to sort of transition this you've been working on this new body of work that isn't related to that and i first saw it at this really really fucking cool show at uh heaven Called Dead Futures. Yeah. Yeah, with Mev Luna. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Mev. With Gonzalo. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Gonzalo. Uh, Reyes Rodriguez. With Santiago X. Mm-hmm. Shout out to him. All the buds. All the buds. Uh, so tell me about that work. Where's that work coming from? What are you doing now? I'm really... Yeah. It was, it was, it was a difference. Yeah, but it's, it, it, it's exciting to see you kind of go in this completely different direction. And I can tell that you're excited about it, too. Yeah, I think like um, that show is transitionary for me because it takes me a while to build something, and I think of it as modular, like with lots of like byproducts and and um, so that was transitionary thinking about like the themes of the last work, which were like um, uh, thinking about violence and self defense using like leathers and um, sound and dance and fight techniques and so now my new work i'm i right now it's titled fire drilling and um it's a translation uh from a nawa word and it's um it, it's supposed to be this ritual um sort of smoke intake 
So specifically, like um, in, As- in Aztec times, um, uh, the priests and such would make sort of like a an herbal concoction. And before the baby was born, uh, the pregnant mother would come in and they would like smoke her out, essentially. Yeah. And then she would inhale it, but also like um, take it in through like <laughs> like through her vagina. Right. Right. Yeah. And the baby would then breathe itself in. Like it would breathe in its history, it would breathe in its knowledge, and it would oh, become wow. fully formed. Yeah. And so I was really interested in this, and I was like, whoa, this is it. This is it. Because you know what else I like? Smoking cigars. <laughs> and I've wondered a lot, like, why I've gotten really into it, you know? Um, and for me, cigars are really fascinating because, like, the same way, I think in general, I like technical things that have yeah. to do with other things. That's a really basic way to put it. Like, I like to fight partially because it's very reactionary. Um, if someone punches me, I can parry. I can um, I can do a bunch of different things in reaction to it. And it's very technical. You have to think about it quickly. And so then, like, when I smoke a cigar, it's a representation of a piece of land um, and of labor yeah. and of history. Yeah, and of culture. And culture. So then... Um, most cigars come from uh, the Caribbean, and so I began to be really interested in like, what, co- what, like what, what's going on there, you know? And why is it that like smoking in this piece of land has such an oral like and sort of like, like almost spiritual yeah. experience for me? Yeah. And so I'm trying to compare these two things um, to make work that is about. Uh, sort of like the the diasporic rituals that we do to like connect us back to our lands the same way that this um, breathing in of the smoke. That's something that I was going to say. The idea of breathing is something that I sort of see as a, a continuation sort of in of like the previous work because mm-hmm. fighting and all those techniques and fitness and everything, they're also kind of these techniques of the breath. <laughs> You know, yeah, that also happened in, in smoking cigars. I mean, if you inhale, it's going to be a very different experience than if you don't, you know, so it, there is this sort of like practice, but also yeah. it's like bringing in of something and then taking something out. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's the interesting too, thing, too, because like in the original fire drilling, like people are breathing in completely. Yeah. But like for cigars, you mostly hold in your mouth. Yeah. And so then I also like this idea of like not non-completion. You know, like, what is it to, like, hold in our mm. mouths? But it doesn't go all the way in because it'll make you sick. And that's kind of an interesting thing comparing <laughs> it to, like, culture and as, like, diasporic people, like, mm-hmm. how we relate to, like, the original, I guess. Yeah. The original culture. Where there's, like, a cutoff point. Right. And there's an inability to really get to it because it was the path was destroyed. Exactly. And so um, I've been doing a lot of research about this and I'm really interested. I mean, I'm not completely there to, like, to say exactly like what's going to happen. I'm still in a research phase, but I'm really interested in uh, creating performance and objects and um, different byproducts of that. And um, I've been really interested in, in Catherine Dunham's archive um, because uh, she's like a <laughs> amazing anthropologist, um, anthropologist and dancer and choreographer and made these really wonderful productions um, where she visited different Caribbean islands or different places and uh, then would create sort of like um, black ballets that yeah. incorporated yeah. these things that she found. So she found um, 
uh, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but the Mai uh, Martinique um, style martial art. Mm. Uh, I, mean, I mean, someone told me that. I don't know if she like found it, but she, she began to incorporate it into the dancing. And then she, I found this wonderful image of her dancing with a cigar. Oh, wow. And so she did a lot of productions with cigars because it is part of that culture, of part of that place, part of that land. Yeah, the it's factories, a ritual object. Yeah, the factories, the fields, the, the lounges, the places they're sold, the people who are doing it and the techniques they're doing to do it. Like, of course, it came back into like an anthropological dance. Yeah. Um. So I'm. I mean, also like you know, tobacco also in like the new quote unquote new world was you know this thing that made you know Europeans come conquer and fuck us all up. Yeah, and it's like it, tobacco plantations, you know, are like a big fucking blight in like the, the history of like Western civilization. And it's interesting because tobacco it has always been a spiritual plant and a medicinal plant, and it's crazy like these like um things that we have can also be the 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 reason like it can become a bad thing it can be a bad yeah. situation for us right i think it's 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 kind of poetic to think of it as like a cancer as like a cell that isn't working properly or isn't like allowed to work properly and how like medicinal plants and things that were so great for our ancestors mm-hmm. suddenly get like twisted and like removed from like where they came from and become these cancerous things yeah they become um industrialized yeah when they were supposed to be something that we just roll sometimes for ourselves yeah and so, um, yeah, so um, I'm studying these dances and I'm really interested in doing something choreographic and using these archives and, nice. and doing live smoking and, and things of that nature. And so um, the show at Heaven was just the beginning of that. And I'm I'm hoping to do some research trips um, and to do a lot of things with that. And I'm excited to do that because I want to definitely do a lot more movement. but. Yeah. Um, I wanted to change a little, and I, w- I want people to see my body a little differently. And yeah, that's exciting. Now, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I like to go into is ask um, the people that come and have an interview, um, what is some advice that would have been really helpful for you when you were younger, um, or that you would tell somebody that was is young now? Yeah, this is. I mean, I personally really like to talk about money with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's it's hard when someone isn't asking you like a specific question. But I guess like um, that's a good question. I'm not sure completely what I would say to someone. <laughs> <laughs> what has been some advice that has stuck with you though that somebody gave you when you were younger? I guess like two things that I'm thinking about are specifically about um, we talk. A, I've spoken a bit about like manifesting your own destiny, right? Yeah. Like and not to be confused with manifest destiny but like like making (laughs) but making the thing that you want happen and so i think that um one thing that i would research is uh or give advice towards is like research your own direction and to never like squish something out because you you can't do it be like all right well uh how can i go to shoemaking school or how can i learn how to do this thing and like to be really creative about that solution whether it be uh, volunteer time or like create a network with somebody or barter or just find a way to like get yourself to the thing because I think that no matter what people are interested in it usually yields fascinating things and I think again like this idea of a, of a network has always been really helpful um, so like I think that largely any of the success that people would see in my work has had to totally be by 
the network of people that have valued me when I wasn't always sure. So, you know, like, yeah. So like, um, my show in New York was with Dana Hoey, who I met as a, at a residency. And, you know, she just invited me to do the show with her <laughs> at a really high end gallery. And it's just been like, that's my friend, yeah. you know, and to value people and to continue to do your work and to do well, like, people just are for as awful as the art world can seem people are also very generous and so i think it's really important to like have networks and to try to show up for your networks and even if you fuck up you know like try to be there for people and that's like honestly uh, other than just making your work and believing in yourself i think that that's like bar none the most important thing that you can do like find people you like be interested in them let them know what you're doing uh, and yeah, the, it'll it'll That's help itself out. Yeah, who's in your personal canon? Like of people, like artists or like writers oof. or like philosophers oof. that you kind of keep coming back to, that keep sort of nourishing you. Okay, I have to admit something. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty bad with names. That's okay. I forget things all the time. What about concepts? Concepts. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I think that originally, like uh, concepts of the mestiza were really mm-hmm. really important especially like written by like queer women so i was like oh cool <laughs> you know like this sort of mixture of things and being many things at once and us like recognizing that our bodies are like literally like a genetic wonder and that it's going to show up in like this uh this different kinds of personalities and different ways of being i think that's always been really um helpful to me but i think that like for me you can't I can't ignore people like Tanya Bruguera or mm. or like Ana Mendieta or, or people like that, right? Because uh, performance makers, yeah, like Latin women performance makers. Yeah. Uh, I think w- what I've learned so much from their kind of work and Regina Galindo um, has been like sort of the simplicity of gestures. Mm. And yeah, I, and the I, power of that, yeah. Yeah, and I was telling this to somebody, like I don't necessarily make durational work that is gestural, um, because it's hard. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't have a lot of interest in sort of like um rubbing stuff on your body or things like that. Because um it can be good. It can be really good, but you have to hit the nail on the head. It has to yeah. be the right moment, yeah, in the right place. Like thinking of Tanya Bruguera's like um performance during like the Havana Biennial, you know, that was like um referencing Tainos um like in protest of like not being in like the the art space like the high-end art space during something happening and it's just like you know it's like just the moment yeah and so i think that like seeing women who do stuff like that like arjena galindo as well like doing protest work you know um with her blood in in or with her feet in blood and like going from the capital um to like see i'm really bad with like dates i have to like look at hey listen we're just leaving little trails here people can google it now (laughs) google it um yeah and that is like directly like a protest and it's significant and important so like seeing things like that to me were really important and then also like recognizing that's not what i want to do yeah i think that's a really important thing because like a canon doesn't necessarily mean like i want to do that Mm -hmm. but sometimes it can be like okay that's done i need to do something else yeah and i think that like especially with them like a lot of that work is naked yeah and i don't need to do that and and that was really 
like helpful for me too. You know, I think that there is a time and place for every kind of performance, like for nudity, especially that it can be so powerful. But for me, it's been really like even a harder question to like ask myself, what costume will I wear? Yeah. And I think that's something that in like performance, sometimes like nudity is almost seen like as like a neutral slate. Like it's seen as this like blank canvas, Mm -hmm. but that's like a really kind of Caucasian academy type of thinking too like it's not a neutral space just like the white cube gallery is not a neutral space yeah i don't think that my nudity is neutral in any way and i think it's like supercharged and i think it's also like i don't know pretty special (laughs) and yeah it doesn't need to be part of anything yeah and like for me like i've had so much sort of conflict with how i feel about my body like related to my upbringing that like for me to able to see my body is extremely powerful and I love to see my body in its nudeness. Um, and I can look at every part of it and be like, this is where my muscle is growing. This is where my hair is. This is where my dad said, like, we don't grow that much hair because we're indigenous. You know, uh-huh. like, this is right. This is it, you know. Um, and for me, that that helps to ground me and I don't need to share that. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's just how I feel about totally. it. Totally. Yeah. And so, you know, the, there's been work like that that's been very helpful. And then, you know, like... I think that things that always surround like the Whitney Biennial has been really fascinating in the way that like um, like uh, uh, the recent sort of argument specifically with Chicago artists. So with Michael Rockwitz and like Brendan yeah. Fernandez and, and things like that. So I, I went to that and I always enjoy going to like large shows like that where I've really um, been able to see a lot of work all in one place, which is almost never the bla- best yeah. place to see things. Yeah. Things smashed together, which to me is actually makes it really interesting. I think one of the benefits and one of the things I really appreciate about like large survey shows like that, especially when there's like not as much of like a curatorial prompt, is that, and maybe this is something that like happens more as a maker myself, mm-hmm. but as you said, it sort of lets me kind of locate myself or sort of reminds me it's like it's like you're mirrored you know it's like you see all this work and you're like okay that's similar to what i do that's definitely not what i do mm-hmm. it's like it reminds you of who you are almost when you see like all this work that isn't yours yeah and and i think it's really like rewarding because you're yeah, like for sure you're like great job let me go think about that you know and yeah. think about myself <laughs> always about myself <laughs> um but i i realize now that like I can answer this question in a different way too, yeah. which is um, I really enjoyed to see like performance and dance. Nice. So I really like um, Abraham in Motion, uh, that that dance group. Uh, they do really fantastic things. And then I also really enjoy going to sort of uh, festivals like Time Based Arts okay. in Portland, um, where I've seen really incredible yeah, that's things. Yeah, really festival. Yeah, and so like um, like uh, people like Maria Valencia Valencia. <laughs> yeah and so then like her like when i saw her last year in september do her work album that's like a an hour long uh performance you know it's a dance work and she sings and it's like very tight and that was really helpful for me because i was like oh this is how you professionalize this thing yeah like memorization <laughs> nice yeah you know and like like having control of your body and so like really dancers um have been really um helpful to me i it's it's really been how i i learn um how to do things better <laughs> nice yeah so uh yeah my my canon is all over the place and like when I do interviews, usually it's like written. <laughs> and so yeah. I can like get my references and be like, I will not sound stupid right now. But yeah, I, I it's all swirling in there. It's hard to come out like verbally. Yeah, that's fine. 
Well, this leads into the last question I wanted to ask you, which is, how do you feel about the internet? Oh. What's your relationship with the internet? <laughs> Wait, why? Well, no, I've, I've just I've asked this to, of like a bunch of people because I'm really interested in how you relate to this thing that exists in the world. Some people have a really kind of difficult relationship to it. Some people really just like it's so much part of their everyday lives mm-hmm. that it's really fascinating to me to hear how people feel or place themselves in relationship to the system. Yeah, I'm really uncomfortable with the Internet. I don't always know what I'm supposed to be doing. And it feels like a, like I, I've spoken a little bit about like, yeah, like I'm I'm trying to be like more honest, like specifically maybe in this interview about like sort of my difficulties with socialness and the things I'm learning about myself right now and so like my idea of the internet is um very challenging and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it I think that like maybe when I was in grad school it felt like we need to share we need to like validate ourselves by posting what we were making at work to uh, making on what posting what we were making online to like to show this like grand yeah. scheme of what how special and important we are, and and nowadays I really don't know what I'm supposed to do. I think that like I could go different routes, and I see people like professionalize their Instagram or to like seem really friendly and and have conversations with people online. But I don't I I don't really like people having that much access to me. Okay, and I like to I like to be present, but I don't like to have long conversations online yeah so like when people i noticed this when i was younger like people would respond and i could have made the choice to like respond back and then we'd start like large chains but that never happened and then like my facebook presence is so weird like i look at it but i'm like i almost never post anything i never i i am realizing now that i'm so much more private than i ever thought i was yeah where like yeah, I don't want to tell people how I'm feeling politically because it's confusing and I yeah, don't want to totally be fair, yeah. yeah, I don't want to be marked either way while I'm trying to think through like these really heavy thoughts. But there are times where it's important to be political and to protest and to do things of that nature. Um but yeah, I I'm really uncomfortable with the way that it feels as though we need to like put on some kind of show and and um that so much of our presence needs to be there and and I don't like the amount of access. Um and I, I just like to control the amount of access people have to me because I yeah, I, I'm I like to be in person and I like to also be like, all right, we're in person, but you get two hours and then I'm gonna be very uncomfortable and need to go home. Uh-huh. What about for research? Do you prefer to do research like online or like in like real life like quote unquote real libraries? Both. I think that like as far as like research and reading and things like that so I just was speaking mostly about social media but then like when it comes to the internet I really like all the things that I can research and all the places I can be and um, as long as like I'm in control of that and I don't feel like I'm being judged for that then it's then it's a different story and so um, but I think that like my form of research is usually like googling a ton of shit looking at a ton of flights reading a bunch of just like silly short stories and then making a giant database and then going to the library or yeah. And then dancing and then doing all these different things that then result in final products. Yeah. 
Um, Marcela, thank you so much for coming. Thank I really you. enjoyed this conversation. Wait, how do you feel about the internet? I love the internet. <laughs> I feel like I've been, I am most happy when I'm online. Wow. <laughs> I feel like almost everything good that's ever happened on my in my life has been because of the internet and when we were another. Are you serious? Yeah. Like what? Like pretty much my entire art career and like every art opportunity that's ever come for me has been pretty much through the internet. Um. Uh, yeah wow. most of my projects like have to do with like stuff that i find on the internet that's my main research tool that's where most of my materials and images come from that's, that's where most shocking. of my projects end up wow. so yeah no i'm 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 like an internet person 150 percent. i had no idea <laughs> that's why i'm interested in it because like to yeah. me it just seems like home like that's the so one funny. place yeah that's so funny like after what i said yeah interesting okay cool yeah. well Thank you. Yeah, Ivan. see, we learned about each other. Yeah, we did. <laughs> well, thanks, Marcella, for coming. Yeah, of course. Bye, everyone. Bye. And there we go. Now you know how I feel about the internet. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Marcella. If you want to follow her, uh, check out her website, um, HTTP, MarcellaETorres.com, M-A-R-C-E-L-A-E-T-O-R-R-E-S.com. This podcast was recorded, produced, and edited by me, Ivan Lozano, in Chicago, Illinois. You can follow me on Instagram at Ivan Lozano Studio, I-V-A-N-L-O-Z-A-N-O. My website, IvanLozano.net. Again, I-V-A-N-L-O-Z-A-N-O dot N-E-T. Thank you to the Propeller Fund for the support. Thank you to Natalie Murillo, a.k.a. La Spacer, for our theme music. You can follow her on Instagram, SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Facebook under La Spacer, L-A-S-P-A-C-E-R, and her website, laspacer.com. And we'll catch up with you next time with another interview. Stay tuned for the rest of the year. We will have podcasts every other week, just like we've been doing this in the new year. I'm still looking into it, but I'm sure it'll be really fun. So thanks again for your support. Thank you for listening, and we are out. 